Welcome to the Influence Podcast, Collision Edition. My name's Tom Yanni. And I'm Keith Wallace. Keith, I'm going to tell you what a busy day looks like for me. I wake up, get my two-year-old rolling, you know, a little bit of breakfast, get him dressed, try to get him out the door. That actually is way harder than it sounds, I'm sure of it. Meeting, 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 come back, pick him up, work, 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 go to bed. I love it, by the way. That's not a complaint by any stretch, but that's a busy day for me. What's a busy day for you? Well, I have no kids, so I can't even compare (laughs) how busy my day is. Mine is just meetings, 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 and then as soon as I can, shut off. So we're about to talk to somebody that I think is going to recontextualize what I look at as a busy day, because this is an individual that is the chief technology officer and the chief strategy officer for Siemens, which is a large global company, which is trying to change a lot of how we operate as an industry, as an economy, as a world tackling these really huge problems. And actually, when I think about the responsibilities on his plate, it's like, wow, how do you do that? It's quite mind-blowing. Siemens have over 300,000 employees. So in today's episode, Tom, we're joined by Siemens Chief Technology Officer and Chief Strategy Officer, Peter Corte, to get a sense of what sustainable efforts look like for the largest industrial manufacturing company in Europe and what he thinks will make digital transformation successful in the future. Peter, great to see you again. It's been a while. I I saw Peter last time in uh, Lisbon over for Web Summit last November. A couple of things that jumped out at me straight away when I met Peter was, was first of all, he's a very snazzy dresser. I was uh, super impressed. <laughs> Thank uh, you. This, uh, the second thing then, I was, I was blown away by how calm and approachable you are considering your role in Siemens. Siemens is obviously a huge conglomerate with over 300,000 people there. And you have a dual executive role with both chief technology officer and chief strategy officer. How do you find those roles complement or compete with each other? And and also, how do you manage to keep your stress levels so well and and sleep at night with both of those roles going on? (laughs) Yeah, that's an excellent question. And and great to meet you again, Keith. The the real answer is it only works because of a great team, because otherwise I would not be able to handle so many responsibilities. And you really have to let go and you have to trust and empower But to be honest, now being two years into my role, it's fabulous. And I only can can recommend everybody to follow that approach of combining technology and strategy. And and the reason being is at Harvard, I had one professor who would say innovation actually consists out of two things, invention times commercialization. Mm -hmm. And uh, in a way, this is very true. So so if, if you have great inventions, but no commercialization, it's not a successful innovation. And vice versa, if you have something commercialized, but it's not novel, it's also not an innovation, right? So it really takes the novel aspects and the commercial aspects together. And this is, in essence, what I'm doing. I have the privilege of working with so many great engineers and researchers at Siemens thinking about the next generations of technologies. They do the inventions. We have a lot of patents every year that we file, more than 2,700 just last year. But they're useless, if you cannot apply them in business. So they are the strategist kicks in and looks at markets and growth and things that are happening around us in our current world, which is very dynamic, as we all know. And so merging these two things, the commercialization aspect and the invention aspect is really beautiful. You mentioned that you're a couple of years into this dual role and that sort of dovetails with a really crazy time in the history of the world. Obviously, there's been a pandemic for the last couple of years. I can't imagine what it would be like um, given the work that you do for such a large company amidst the pandemic. So how have things evolved over the last couple of years amidst the pandemic? It's a great question. And to be honest, it definitely, if I had known it, uh, what was ahead of us, <laughs> I'm not sure if I dared to. But uh, because 
I started in February 2020. This is wow. the first case <laughs> that occurred, right, from China. And then a month later, we were shutting down. Now, in a way, this is really difficult because you have to build trust. And, and so it was very, very difficult to build these strong and deep relationships with a large amount of people. So that certainly is still to the day, I have a huge pent-up demand of traveling and sitting mm. together with people and, you know, having also this casual kind of conversation that as we're having right now. So that clearly is a challenge. But on the other hand, there was a huge, huge advantage. And that was, I did not have to travel at all. And the world was flat and even because nobody could see each other. So, so in, an, in, in a single day, I could talk to all of our business leaders from all the very respective countries and different businesses because you did not have to travel. So in one hour, you were sitting together with somebody from Japan and talking about software. The other moment, you were sitting together with somebody from Switzerland talking about yeah. buildings. And this was amazing. So, so in a way, this has really helped me to accelerate, um, really coming around and getting to know the people. Now, building that, that strong and lasting relationships, fair enough, this is something that we still have to do, which is the reason why at Siemens, we, we now have defined for ourselves the new normal. Mm -hmm. And the new normal clearly is not going back to pre-pandemic, but it is all about 50-50. It is really capturing the best of both worlds of two to three days working from remote mm -hmm. and the other two to three days of really getting into the office or wherever that be, but getting together with people, having these creative exchanges, discussions, trust-building conversations, that, that you cannot live without. So, so clearly, we will not go back to 100% be all the time in the office. It's 50-50. And so far, I have to say, it's working remarkably well. That hybrid model coming out of pandemic is something we'll see a lot of organizations kind of take note of and start to do. And I think we're starting to see that. With, with that in mind, obviously, there was some positives to come out of the last two years and remote work being one of those. For yourself personally as a leader, what, what kind of key learnings have you taken away from the last couple of years? The interesting thing is before that, and keep in mind that before that, I was in charge of, of running digital health for health years, mm -hmm. so in healthcare. And the week prior to my start back at Siemens, I, I've been at three continents. I, I was traveling in Europe. I was going to Dubai for MedLab. And then I was another two days with a key customer in New York, mm -hmm. all in one week. And we were traveling like crazy. So in a way, you really start to think again and saying, you know what, is this really necessary? Mm. Or actually, can I make better use of, the, of my time, but also really being more mindful of resources? Uh, because, I mean, we're going to talk about sustainability. And it is truly, truly a big burden for the planet of, of you know, jetting uh, uh, around and, and being, being here, but also being, to some extent, nowhere. So... What I learned about this is to be more, more conscious of, of when is what required in terms of these deep building, trust building activities, and what can I really do by the means of, of technology. And something like as we are doing today, it's great. You can get on the call, and then later on, I can meet a lot of other, other, other key customers, partners, which otherwise I could not be doing. So, so really learning that angle has helped me quite a bit. That's one. And the second one is you have to let go. Uh, and I think we all know that is the minute you are decentralized and spread all over, it means you have to trust. And it means that you have to empower the people that you're working with, that you cannot go and say, you know what, are you truly doing this? And there I'm lucky because I always tended to extend trust in the first place, because I believe this, this is speeding up everything anyway. 
if you if you start to doubt somebody else and you have to first to prove yourself over and over again, I think in today's world that is moving so fast, you are at a disadvantage anyway. So I always used to to extend trust first, and then if 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 something goes wrong, then then maybe we're getting closer. But but I always believe in the good of of people and and their best intentions. And you mentioned sustainability a moment ago, and I just want to shift gears into that a little bit. Obviously, it's a key priority for Siemens at the public level, at the private level, across so many different initiatives for the organization. And it's interesting, obviously, during the pandemic, we were talking about this too. Travel's gone down, commute times for people has completely shifted. So sort of the carbon footprint for the average person may have gone down, but obviously much more change is going to be required and demanded. And Siemens is kind of at the forefront of that as well. So what are some of the top priorities or how is is Siemens prioritizing sustainability moving into the future? We do. We do big times. As a matter of fact, we really believe that the two key things that are happening around us is decarbonization and digitalization, if you like. These are the two transitions. And decarbonization being just a fraction, obviously, of sustainability. But let's start there because, of course, we have to look at CO2 first. And, and just wanted to mention for, for completeness sake, of course, there's so many things with regards to circular economy, resource efficiency, biodiversity, uh, water, everything that comes with it. But obviously, you have to start somewhere. And we clearly started on, on the CO2 aspect, on the greenhouse gases, generally speaking. And usually when we work with our customers, which is the bigger lever to, to of course, make, make good for the planet, the first thing that they ask is, what are you doing yourself? So in other words, you really need to be credible in order to show what you're doing. And, and that has helped because Siemens already in 2015, we gave ourselves a 2030 a target by which we want to be carbon neutral. So we, we clearly approved and, and are committed to science-based target initiatives. We subscribe to EP100, EB100, RE100. So all the things where, where you want to be truly carbon neutral in that sense, be it mobility, being energy usage uh, and, and resources. So all of that, we are, we are definitely following through from the way we design our buildings, from the way we get the, the energy with solar PV on the on the, on the roofs, with uh, really fostering electrical vehicles in order to get that amongst our employees and so on. And the same thing we do for our factories. That's a very small part, to be honest. That is still our own operations. What you really want to get to is scope two and suppliers. So working in the meanwhile very closely with our suppliers, helping them to come down in their, in their carbon um, emissions. And then, of course, the biggest thing is, is scope three, our customers. The big thing is, if you look at Siemens, or if you look generally at the 50 billion, was it billion or trillion? So, so um, sorry for that. So it's, it's 50 giga, gigatons of greenhouse gas emissions that were around in 2019. If you look at by sector, the three biggest sectors that are emitting CO2 is industry, it's buildings, and it's transport. If you look at Siemens, we got three divisions. One is called digital industries, the other one is smart infrastructure, and the last one is called mobility. So in a way, we do address all of these three things, and they do account for two-thirds of all greenhouse gas emissions in the world. So we're really helping buildings to become more efficient by having smarter building automation so that they use less energy for integration of renewable sources such as heat pumps or solar PV or whatever. On the transportation side, we have the trains, but we also provide a lot with regards to EV charging infrastructure so that we can make that energy transition. We're building grids so that you actually can simulate the grids and can see how that energy is flowing. And that we have enough energy, by the way, which is a very important part. 
Because imagine all the cars in the United States or in Canada or in Europe or in China, all of a sudden now all being driven by or, or propelled by, by electricity. This is a huge strain on our energy grids and they're by no means built for that. So, so we are really helping on getting that there. And then lastly, there's industry. In industry, of course, there's a lot of things happening as we speak, as you can imagine, this gas and gas supplies and shortages. That's now being propelled, which is great because this is all about going into electrification. But electrification only works if it's green electrification, of course, but you have to make that switches. So we really help also industries to become electrified and so therefore cutting their greenhouse gas emissions. So in a way, we are, it's the perfect opportunity on the one hand, I can tell you. On the other hand, though, it is a very demanding one because there's more than a thousand companies that have themselves subscribed to carbon zero emissions by 2030. Mm -hmm. And nobody knows as of yet how to get there. So we are in a, in a way, we are all sitting in the same boat trying to get to the zero, uh, but we don't have necessarily figured out the full plan yet. Siemens are really at the core of sustainable efforts. Why do you think it's really important that businesses have this baked into how they operate? And what technologies do you see helping in the future? So why, why is it an imperative? It's, in my belief, you cannot have a strategy today that is not talking about sustainability. Interesting, maybe a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a history here. Siemens in 2007 already had a chief sustainability officer, which was obviously far ahead of its time. But at some point, we were running a little bit out of, out of steam because, yes, we believed it was the right thing doing, but this was more geared by the idea of doing good and really driving resource efficiency in, in that way, if you like. Now, fast forward 15 years today, 2022, all four stakeholders that we serve, they are all asking for it. So first, our customers, as I said, there's more than a thousand customers that want to go there. They ask us, Siemens, if you cannot name how much your CO2 footprint for that very specific part is, we will not purchase it. So and it is enough already if you have just one customer, but the size of a customer, usually these are very often also automotive customers, that ask that for your entire product line. So you have to do it for thousands or hundreds of thousands of customers. So it's happening all over the place from our customers. First of all, our customers ask for it. Second, very importantly, investors, ESG investors. So uh, they are asking for it. They are looking for stocks that they can invest to. And it makes perfect sense. If you take all the, the retired uh, retirees that, that they want to have a good living by investing their, their retirement funds into doing something good. And so they are looking for asset classes that are obviously invested into sustainable technologies and, and thereby, of course, having a little bit of a gain, but, but by doing good at the same time. And we have that. We have a lot of investors, actually, that are looking for that. Then you have our employees, to be honest, because um, as you can imagine, purpose is a very, very big thing. Also, I'm sure about what you encounter every day with startups, with, with young employees, with talents, and they want to work on something great, something that makes sense and something that really changes the planet and changes the future. And so you have to have that. Otherwise, it's not working. And then lastly, it's society uh, and governments, because governments do impose uh, restrictions and laws, everything in order to get us there. So in a way, as you can see, it's coming from all sides. There's no place of hiding. You really have to embrace it. Otherwise, you, you're going to lose out. So that's, that's the way I would frame it, why you have to have it. The second question that you asked was with regards to the technologies. And there, I mentioned that digitalization is another key trend. I believe that digitalization and decarbonization are a perfect match. 
And the reason being is, if you want to decarbonize, you need to first off baseline, right? So in other words, you need to know of how much CO2 are you truly emitting. So you need to baseline across all the operations from, from sourcing to manufacturing to sales. You need to understand of where are you generating that. That usually requires that you lock into or that you hook into all the different IT systems. And sometimes you even don't have that. So you need to have tools for estimation. So it starts with the baselining first and foremost in order to get you the transparency that you need, not just for yourself, by the way, but across the value chain. So, so then the value chain comes into it, which is very interesting. So you need to have a decentralized way in order to exchange information on CO2 footprint that everybody can trust and believe, but not everybody can see it. So the best technology for that, for example, is blockchain in order to make that decentralized, the ledgers, but trusted, which is very important so that, that our suppliers are telling us exactly what they're doing and what their part, their steel, their plastics, really of CO2 emissions really, of course, contains. And the same holds true for us with our customers. So it's across the supply chain that you have to do. And then lastly, if, if you have this great transparency, now what does that mean? <laughs> now that means you have to do something. And that means that you need to, to think about how you design your products. So in the future then, you need to think about Am I taking this steel or am I taking this steel? Because this may be a little bit more costly, but on the other hand, it has a less of a CO2 footprint. So really making design choices uh, and, and very uh, deliberate design choices or weights, for example, in cars, where you can already estimate of how much more CO2 that will mean uh, in scope three downstream because of the usage of your products. These are tools, digital tools that all help you in order to get you to, to a lower carbon footprint. Because again, knowing where you stand reliably is the first, only the first job. And that is really hard already. But then you have to take those steps of how you make your products much, much more efficient. And this is where digital twins, for example, come into play, where you can really estimate of how much of your products will be emitting CO2 across the entire life cycle of its, of its usage. And that's where it's, it's very, very powerful. In many cases, when we're talking about this digitization of industry and, and different types of businesses, it's a reimagining of how they operate and products that they create and the pathway of developing those products and bringing them to market. So there's a lot of change that would have to happen amongst anybody that is endeavoring to do this. So I'm curious, what do you think will make this sort of digital transformation successful for a lot of these businesses because it must be a lot for them to figure it out and adopt it. And I'm sure Siemens helps with that. But what do you think will make it successful? Yeah, great question. And, uh, and I'm glad that you used the word um, digitize because when you do these kind of digital transformation journeys, first and foremost, they're called transformation for a reason. <laughs> that is, they affect everyone and they take an awful long time. And uh, usually it's, it's, a, it's a big mindset shift that, that's also happening. And every digital transformation usually starts with digitization. That means you have some, let's say, paper processes, an HR record or a purchase order or a drawing, which used to be paper-based, but now all becomes digitized, right? So, so from analog to digitized or to digital, that's the first step. Usually this is the toughest. And you may think that every, everything with Netflix and everything being available today, fully digital, these are the digital natives. If you go to businesses, in particular to industrial businesses, think again, there's a lot of paper still available, which really has to become more digitized, if you like. 
And this is where the ROI usually is not as high. And the reason being is that usually the analog, the paper process, and the digital process, they, cost, um, they exist co um, um, side by side. And so you have to invest into something that already works. So your, your return on invest is, is a long, long, long time. The good news, though, is once you have digitized, you have all the data available. And this is where, if you look at usually the digital transformation of companies, they go through an S-curve. So they are very slow in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Then they pick up really fast, and then they, they plateau off. And the reason why that S-curve is there, so slow at first and then really accelerated, is that first, the digitization stuff, it takes an awful long time to put this infrastructure in place. But once you have all digitalized, that is really great because now you can just put data from different data silos and you have to put them together. This is the magic. And then make them make them work. We, we learned this the hard way, by the way, because we did exactly that. And we went through the same stuff, for example, in our factories. In one of the factories, they said, you know what, we really want to digitize. They did, but their ROI was five to six years. And the use cases that they had with regards to machine effectiveness, they said, let's go from 96 to 98%, which they achieved. But still, the business case wasn't really stellar, to be honest. But the good news is once they had connected all the machines, they had all the data. Once they could take that data and match it with other data sources, for example, out of the ERP system, knowing exactly which batch of material they were using or what kind of contract they, or order they were executing, they could shift on the fly of what they were producing. That was the killer application that truly, truly propelled their annual productivity from 3 to 4 to 6 to 7% annually. And that use case, they even hadn't envisioned so very often, it's, it's fascinating. The minute you have all the different data pieces together, by stitching it together, this makes the huge difference. That's the journey that we're on. But this is, takes usually five years, if not longer. I think we're at that point now where we see innovation is, is rapidly increasing and, and getting faster and faster. And what you're saying there is when all of these pieces plug together, it'll increase the speed of that innovation even faster again. When you're looking to the future, what kind of cutting edge technologies do you see coming down the line over the next kind of 5, 10, 20 years? Be careful because obviously this is a very subjective answer now, but we believe truly uh, it, is, it is actually the combination of the hardware and the software, the real world and the virtual world. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we believe that the future will not be just digital, hopefully. I mean, for us humans being real things, it hopefully will be always both. And the reason why I'm saying it is, is I believe there's still always going to be factories in the future that will be producing stuff that, that all caters to our needs that we need to do. That said, though, I believe that there will be always a digital replica of this very manufacturing plan where you can run it simultaneously in your time and where you can simulate what-if scenarios, where you can say, what if today Joe Doe is sick? And you can instantaneously change the way the products are flowing. Or you could say, what if I change the color of my toothpaste, which you can do instantaneously because you got the data from the engineering department already, and you can readily change that in manufacturing, the manufacturing processes, because you simulated them in the digital twin of the product, mm -hmm. and you simulated them in the digital twin of the production of the factory. So it is those seamless threads of digital data that spans all the different functions from, from design to production to maintenance to service and everything that comes together where you build digital twins in order to make that work. And that interaction of the digital twin with the real world and vice versa. So the combination always of hardware, 
speaking seamlessly to the software. If you ask me today, I believe that is the step change because that gives you the flexibility and the speed, the time to market that is so essential to win in today's you know, cutthroat competition. It's really interesting to see the changes that are taking place and how it's happening at an accelerated rate. And even the fact that this pandemic has perhaps even sped that up a little bit because we've been forced into it. And it's also given people a chance to calm down for a moment, Mm -hmm. take stock of how things are actually operating. And you see that there's some tremendous change that's on the horizon. But it's also fascinating to hear from you that obviously these things take time and that S curve that Mm -hmm. it takes a bit of time, but then it ramps up quickly, sort of plateaus. And yeah, it's been really interesting just hearing about uh, what Siemens is involved in and your role within it. I can't imagine the different responsibilities that are on your plate. Yeah, we're really looking forward to seeing you at Collision and hearing more about what Siemens is up to and your role within it and sort of the future of business and industry. And I uh, can't thank you enough for joining us today. Thank you so much for your time, Peter. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you for your time and thank you for having me. You can stay plugged in with what Siemens is up to at Siemens.com. For the latest in digital marketing and the world of technology, check out the influenceagency.com and follow us at Influence Agency. And for everything you need to know about Collision 2022, including tickets, visit collisionconf.com and feel free to use the code COLLISION10 for 10% off your ticket. And thank you for listening in. We'll see you next time.